Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Show. I am so excited today to have fellow author Susan Conley on the show. Hi, Susan. Hey, how's it going? Hey, great to have you here today. So before we get into the fun part, which is the interview questions, I'm going to read your bio just to give listeners a little bit of your background, and then we'll hop into the interview. Okay. Resident in Ireland for 21 years, Susan E. Conley went horse crazy at the tender age of 41 and 11 twelfths. In 2006, she finally got up the nerve to get up on an actual horse as opposed to reading and dreaming about them. And it's been harder and easier than anything she's ever done yet. Susan is a graduate of Pratt Institute with a BFA in communication design. She has worked in the field since the summer between sophomore and junior year and counts The Village Voice, New York Magazine, and Entertainment Weekly as past design experiences. She has a Master of Philosophy in Irish Theater Studies from the Manuel Beckett Center, Trinity College, an honors degree in psychology, and a diploma in equine assistant therapy and learning. She worked as a journalist soon after moving to Ireland as theater critic and as a feature writer on lifestyle topics. Susan is the author of three other books, Drama Queen, The Fidelity Project, and the soon-to-be-released That Magic Mischief. She is at work on her next horse book, yay, as well <laughs> as a new paranormal historical romance series. Susan was not born in the saddle and didn't even get near one until she reached middle age. It never even occurred to her as a child to pine for a horse. She doesn't run a yard, compete at a high level, or even own her own horse yet. <laughs> After 14 years, though, she's still in love with everything horsey and a member of her yard's riding club. She stands as safety officer and is hoping to compete off-yard in 2021. Susan, that is a phenomenal biography. There is, there is so much going on there, and I'm so excited to have you on the show and dive a little deeper into your, your background and how you got into horses. And so, so this is, leads us right into the first question. How did you begin your love affair with horses at the tender age of 41 and 11 twelfths? <laughs> yeah, um, it was, well, it was in reaction to having left my marriage to a substance misuser. I guess I had been so used to, you know, trying to control something much bigger than myself that I decided that riding a horse would be a good idea. Um, I had no, I had had one experience prior to that, which ended really badly and with a sore bump. Um, and I just put it off. And then when I did finally leave, I was like, well, I guess I need something to do now, you mm. know? Um, and I thought I'd go for maybe, I think I, I know that I only booked in like three lessons. And even at that stage, it felt really optimistic, like three whole lessons, like three weeks in a row, I was going to show up and do this thing that I'd never done before. and at the end of the first lesson, which I participated in only in walk, I got down and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever done for myself in my life. Like it was instantaneous. 
Oh, that's wonderful. And horses. So have you always loved horses? Like what, what led you to be like, I'm going to book these three lessons and start riding. I mean, I know, you know, in, in, in heel actually with these horses, like what, what just prompted you to, to do that? Because there's so many other things you could have done, right? You could have decided to be a race car driver or, you know, <laughs> fly airplanes or, you know, like why horses? <laughs> Um, I don't know, really, because I'd never even read Black Beauty until I started reading all the books about horses when I started riding them. Um, I, they weren't in my landscape by any stretch, you know, like there were probably a couple of people in high school who did ride horses or, but those were like the rich kids. So it was completely beyond my remit. There was no way in the world I was ever going to even consider dreaming about it. And I mean, I'd always been pretty sporty as a child, like playing basketball and riding my bike and I was swimming and everything else. And, you know, used to go to the gym. So when I had to come up with something to do, or when it became clear to me that it would be a really good thing to have something to occupy my time, um, I was like, oh, geez, you know, I'll just do this. And Ireland obviously is huge horse country. So mm -hmm. it wasn't difficult to find a place to go. And that, I mean, that's amazing. It's almost like horses like magically showed up for you at, at the right time in your life. And, and we'll get a little bit into this because you, you talk about this in, in your recent horse book that covers some very um, personal and important topics to talk about. So, so before we move, move on a little bit, I wanted to talk about, is there any advice you would give to someone who wants to start riding horses midlife? Because I think there's a lot of horse lovers in, in, in that didn't grow up riding horses that would still like to give it a try. And you're a testament to it, mm -hmm. to it's possible. And, and you're sitting in your office there and you've got all these rows of beautiful ribbons behind <laughs> you for people that are watching us on YouTube. She's got a whole line of, of probably displayed ribbons behind her. So obviously you're very successful at it. And, uh, and it's, you know, what would you say to someone that wants to get into riding midlife? I mean, you did it. <laughs> yeah, just do it. Um, I kind of jumped in with lessons. Um, if you have any sort of like, I don't know, worries about your own physical fitness, you might want to start with private lessons to begin. Um, but once a week, you know, it's one hour, just show up. You're not going to be put on some kind of crazy thing that you can't handle. And in fact, you're probably going to be put on a poor old schoolie who's been there forever and you know is bomb proof so you can probably i'd say you can count on that happening you know 90 percent of the time um i've never regretted it i never regretted it even through all the years of injuries and falling off and all the money spent um it's the best thing i've ever done um so just try just try oh that's that's great advice and and yes i think you're you're right to mention that a lot of um places where you can go and take lessons they have safe horses that they put you know little 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 small mini mini big people on like children yeah exactly. <laughs> and 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 they'll give you a horse that that's safe and appropriate for your your level of riding um and was there anything that surprised you about riding a horse for the first time at that age like did you know were you surprised at how sore maybe your legs got, or were you surprised at, at how you felt, or that, you know, was there anything that kind of surprised you? 
Well, I'll, I'll tell you something. When I got off the first one and I was walking down the hill to the bus, I totally understood why cowboys walk that way. That kind of bow-legged, <laughs> hip-shot stride. Because I, I mean, and you know, I literally thought I was going to die when I got up on it. But then I survived, and then I got off, and I thought I was going to die some more, just because it was <laughs> it was brutal. It was, but it was so fantastic. I'd never been prouder of myself in my life. Like, oh. it was so great. So there's a lot of that that, you know, it's like anything else. You have ambitions and you want to do stuff. And sometimes, you know, you have a good lesson, you have a bad lesson. But I've consistently shown up for this. I've never done anything for 14 years. And yeah. at the very least, twice a week. And I go every single week. And it just builds up all kinds of confidence that serves me really well off the horse. Um, and I think, too, for me, the biggest thing that I get out of it is just everything falls away. The minute you walk onto the yard, even before we even drive through the gate, you know, everything's gone. And all you care about is the horse you're going to ride and, you know, changing into your boots and chatting with your friends and getting your lesson in. Um, nothing that happens on the other side of that fence matters the minute you get there. And it's such a gift. Oh, that is exactly right. And such a special feeling that I think only equestrians can truly understand is that that feeling of the world just melting away and totally being in the moment and being around these magical animals and, and building the confidence and building the relationships with them. And then also your friends that you meet through horseback riding. And I, you just summed it up perfectly. And I loved your analogy about now understanding why cowboys walk the way that they do. <laughs> literally, your first few times, it feels like you're riding a barrel, you know? And <laughs> oh my God. And I wasn't breathing properly. And like, I had my hands so stiff because my whole body was just like, I was bracing myself. Mm -hmm. I was bracing myself to get like chucked into the wall or something. <laughs> So um, there was a lot of that muscle stuff going on the next day as well. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it was just, ah oh, man, I'm so grateful to remember it so vividly. It was, it's still such an abiding, spectacular memory. Oh, and thank you for sharing that experience with us. That, that's so special and, and so meaningful. <laughs> and so I wanted to ask you, you have a diploma in equine assisted therapy and learning. So you know, what made you decide to pursue this education? I imagine it's after you started your, your writing adventures, um, or maybe it happened before. I'm curious about that. And then tell us about the power of healing with our furry friends. Like, I, I'm really excited about learning more about what equine assisted therapy and learning is, is like for you. Great. Yeah. Um, I finished that in 2016, I think. So it kind of fell, you know, after I'd had about 10 years experience with the horses and also when I was finishing writing the book. Um, and I just decided that I really would like to be able to provide a way for people to have access to horses, whether or not they want to ride them and probably most likely not riding them. Um, most of the work and the exercises and the lessons that I learned in the diploma has to do with um, working with them on the ground and it's kind of amazing how much somebody can get out of just trying to put a head collar on a horse mm. you know because mm -hmm. you've got this live enormous sentient being and you have this thing in your hand and some of them just don't want it you know um, so to have that be the exercise to just 
have someone who's unfamiliar with the horse be able to execute um, an action like that and then in turn be given a lead rope and asked to walk the horse around. It's really kind of amazing how simple it is, but how effective it is. It, it's again, it's confidence building, it's learning something new, it's being around this animal that you've never been around before in your life and may not have had access to at all. Um, even the simplest things when you're around a horse are just spectacular and can be so helpful and so healing. And, and you mentioned, you know, the, the difficulty or like what a lesson could be just having someone put on for, for us over here. It's a halter for you over there. It's oh. a red collar. No, no, that's right. great. I mean, there's different, <laughs> there's different terminologies for things, which is, which is really neat. I just wanted to clarify that. But, so, in, you know, for, in my understanding, I mean, and you have a, you have a background also in, in psychology, which, which mm. was mentioned in your bio. So it's like, I imagine just that exercise for someone that's dealing with something or going through something, it brings up like a lot of what they're dealing with in their, their real life. Like, you know, I often think that the horse gives you what you need to learn. Like, so for, you know, someone could like be really angry that this horse won't let them put the halter on mm -hmm. it, or someone can be really fearful and be like, I can't do it. It's so big. So it kind of, the horse actually brings up, I would imagine, uh, things that people need to deal with. Is, is that what you, is that, do you agree with that or? That's brilliant. Yeah, that's really, really well said. Um, one of the first things anybody ever said to me when I was talking to them about is like, I've been riding these horses and it's kind of weird, but I feel like um, it's more than just exercise. Like I feel like emotionally I'm getting better and psychologically I'm improving. And um, she said that horses are, you know, like biofeedback machines and they mm -hmm. only give you back what you give to them. So it, like that, if someone's afraid, the horse is gonna react based on their state of being. And it's interesting too, I think, because they're in herds, um, because they are herd animals and they are constantly calibrating um, to keep a homeostasis. And, and I think that really um, comes through when you're working with horses and, and you know, working with people who have emotional difficulties because the horse is always trying, is always scanning the mood. The horse is always aware of their, you know, environment and they're always doing whatever they can to adjust it and make it better that makes a lot of sense and then so do you regularly give um sessions is that something you're doing or is that was or was that like research that you that you did um for your book to to add to your book um yeah it was part of that i mean um i don't have any horses so it makes it a little bit difficult to offer that right now but i've been trying to work on amongst the many other things that i'm trying to do these days <laughs> um i'd really like to be able to deliver some kind of day-long workshop to start you know um and the thing is is that when we were working in the lesson in the in the diploma you know, and it, it's quite common and it's become common parlance that there's, you know, horses are so effective with people who have autism, um, people who have different kinds of, you know, like uh, attention disorders and things like that. Um, I'm really interested in the people who are the support for people who have those conditions, if that's clear. Like, the moms who never get the time to themselves or the siblings who are maybe not um, forefront in the family because of somebody else's condition having to be ma made manageable. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I, like love, I love that because we often focus, I mean, I, I can only imagine, it, you know, dealing 
dealing with that in a family, mm. so much focus on, on the person with the, the um, difficult health situation that the other members of the family kind of fall into the back burner. So I think that that is a beautiful idea, offering a session to support the mothers and the fathers and the, and the siblings. Yeah. Of a, I think that's amazing. That could, that could be a whole nother book. I, I think that that is just beautiful. Like, oh, thanks. Yeah, no, I really, um, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, oh, I, I just want to start small and just see how we get on. Um, but I really just like, just because I was basically doing that course for myself, you know, like yeah. showing up every week for a lesson. Um, mm. I was giving myself the time and it took a lot of time. I was living across the bay, Dublin, across Dublin Bay from where I was going horse riding and it would take me basically on a Saturday, I'd leave the house at about 1030 and I wouldn't get home till 530. Wow. Using so public transport to get there. to. Yeah. Um, and it was great at the time because I was just, you know, I was coping with being on my own again and I, you know, I'd be, I had, was happy enough to wait for a bus, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I, sort of like, um, yeah. almost, you know, get and you, out and you, bound. It, and you talk about this a lot in your book. I loved your book. I, I, I read your book and I really want to, I think this is a perfect opportunity to open, open the gates and have you share with us about your book, because I think we really built up to, this is a perfect moment. And I, you know, in, in the, what you share in the personal story and the healing, I just, it, I was so moved when I read your book and I'm so excited oh. to be on the show to talk about this because I think this is an important topic. So tell us about your book and a little bit about what brought you, you know, to, to put this in this book baby into the world. <laughs> Great, thanks. Um, well, it's my horsey divorcey memoir, as someone called it, which is, it's a, a little bit jokier than it actually is, but there is some humor in it, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. um, I started horse riding in 2006. And as a writer, I'm constantly looking for material and I'm always writing stuff down and I'm always trying to translate my experience. But for the first year, for the entire year, I didn't write a single thing about it. I just did it. It was such a different approach to life for me, really. Um, and then 2007, I was like, well, maybe I'll start a blog because somebody might find this interesting. You know, I'm, I just turned 42 when I started. Um, so, you know, some of these stories are pretty funny and some of them are kind of interesting. And I'm reading a lot about how horses can read your mind and, you know, all this other stuff. So I started writing... Um, posting on the blog um, and I thought, well, if I keep doing this, then maybe I can get a book out of it. So two years after that, I started, I wrote a proposal because I thought, well, you know, I'll just cobble a bunch of these posts together and I'm sure there's enough here for a book, um, which was not a great approach, I'll have to say. <laughs> Cobbling together is not a great approach if you want to get published. <laughs> the original plan was to make it a jokey sort of thrills and spills, middle-aged, divorcee, meets horse kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I had started sort of looking for a horse because everybody was telling me I should get one because at that stage I was riding four days a week. Um, and I started writing it and I wrote the proposal and I sent it out and no one was interested and I was looking at it again and I swear to God, I was just sitting here at the desk and I 
it was like an inner voice said, you have to tell the truth. Oh, wow. And I was like, uh, I don't want to. <laughs> thanks for nothing not interested in this idea and but I wrote it down and I was like of course you have to and I had this really lengthy kind of argument with myself and um, the reason that I took the up course writing was because I had been married to somebody who abused substances and I left and I started riding horses that's what the story was you know and and, and you know there's some funny bits in it as I said before but I had to tell the truth Mm -hmm. It was ridiculous to even conceive of starting a book of this nature without saying why I had done it in the first place. So that's how that, that's how that ended up being that way. And, and I love that. Hold up the, the cover of the book for us and tell us the title. Oh, oh, Another oh. author taught me that to always have, so your book, always have your book on hand when you're at events, because you never know when a picture is going to be taken and always have uh, your book on hand when you're doing an interview because you never know when you're going to have an opportunity to pop it up there and show the cover. <laughs> because <laughs> this is so <laughs> Many Brave Fools, a story of addiction, dysfunction, codependency, and horses. And I, I, I just, I really love this memoir. And I love that a voice inside of you is telling you to, to tell the truth. And I can only imagine that sharing this story, not only working with the horses, but then writing the story about it really, um, was part of your, your healing process, but then you've created this beautiful thing that you're sharing with others who may be going through something similar and looking for their own way to heal, who you can help them heal too. I mean, how does that, I mean, that's got to make you feel, how does that make you feel to have put all this out there? Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a funny thing because I think I wrote that first proposal in 2009. So it's been a 10 year process. And it's certainly kind of had its ups and downs, obviously, as you would know yourself as an author. Um, and I think at the end, at the end of the day, I just want people to be able to see themselves in it somehow and not feel ashamed. Mm -hmm. um, because shame is a huge, huge element in the codependency lifestyle. Um, and, and isolation, it just thrives in isolation. So to be able to maybe pick it up and have a look and go, okay, I, there are some really, there are some key elements that resonate with me. Um, that would be amazing. I would really, I would really be happy for that to happen. Well, that, that certainly happened for me when I read, read your book. I, I did identify and I saw myself in, in a lot of the bits that you shared and I just was so moved. And I also, I wanted to say, you know, you, in the, in the memoir, Many Brave Fools, you give us a glimpse into the, the chaos of, of your marriage to someone who is addicted to a substance. And, like, and, and you also detail your growing understanding of your own struggle with codependency. Can, can you mm -hmm. share um, with listeners you know, what exactly is codependency? And um, how did you first realize it's a word that plays a role in your life? Like, codependency is a big topic in this book. Yeah. Um, and I resisted it like crazy. Like the last thing I wanted to be was to like hang a label on myself as a codependent because it just was just, I don't know, kind of jargony and, you know, a bit of a hook maybe or something. Um, and I didn't really, and, and that was another part of it. That was another thing, the same as like, you know, figuring out that I had to tell the truth. I really had to just cop on to myself and go, okay, 
this is the label that identifies the symptoms and the way that I've been living. Um, I, Melody Beattie is sort of like the, the, the cornerstone author of the codependency literature. And her book, Codependent No More, was a huge influence on me and on the work as well, on this book as well. Um, and just paraphrasing her definition of it, which I think is one of the best I've heard, it's that um, a codependent is someone who sacrifices their own emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual well-being um, in an effort to make life better for somebody else. Um, People-pleasing is probably a really good way to sort of um, shorten that even further. Um, just that my, everything that I did was done to manage the atmosphere so that somebody else could feel better about themselves. In this case, it was um, my ex-husband. Yeah, and, and that is, <clears throat> thank you for sharing that definition and sharing a little bit about that personal adventure because, or adventure experience. Uh, I just, you know, being, I think we all have elements of codependency in us and I think particularly women, um, you know, we try to, take care of everything and control everything and make it, make it right. And just uh, sharing that story can help people like see, Oh my gosh, I've been exhibiting, you know, putting everything first before taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I just, I just love the book so much. And you know, I really saw reflections of, of that for me. And, and I couldn't thank you more for sharing your personal story. And you mentioned earlier when we were talking about um, starting the book to not uh, take blogs and try and cobble them together. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, because I'm a fiction writer, so I don't know a whole lot about the process of writing a memoir, particularly something so, so personal that you're reflecting a light on. You know, how did, so once you realized you couldn't cobble your blog post together, how did you go about the process of writing your, your memoir? Like, um, how'd you get started? And what, what, were, what were the things that you, um, your processes as you put this together? Um. Yeah, um, well, writing on fiction, you have to write a proposal, okay? And everybody told me this, the internet said so. Um, I talked to actual people who had written actual proposals and couldn't get a good fix on how many pages it had to be. It's just like, and I hated it. It felt like school or something, you know, it felt like a book report. But at the end of the day, it was a really good thing because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I knew where I wanted to start, obviously, and I knew where I wanted to finish. And I wasn't sure how I was gonna get anywhere. So the proposal at least helped me focus my mind a bit. Um, I knew that I wanted it to be eight chapters. Um, I knew that I wanted each chapter to have a single word as a title because one of the other things that I love about horse people and horse riding is that just like there's no excess verbiage. It's just like heels down, elbows in, you know, sit back. Chin up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, you know, look in front of you. It's just so direct and it's so simple and straightforward. So I knew I wanted to do that. Um, and then I just started pulling out, well, I mean, you know, speaking of cobbling, I did have a whole bunch of posts that I realized were not just about sort of like the day-to-day -day funny stuff that was happening, but had some more emotional heft to them. Um, so I started arranging those in sort of a thematic way. Um, and then I just started writing it. Um, piece by piece, treating each chapter like it was its own um, discrete essay, but then obviously they all 
uh, linked together in the end. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I started writing it based on that first idea that I had. I did about three chapters, and then that's when I realized that I had to tell the truth. Um, so when I started over, I had kind of a little bit of a better idea of the concepts that I wanted to bring in. And then I didn't even know really when I started that I was going to start writing about 12 Step, which became a huge part of the book as well, because the last thing I ever wanted to do was walk into a 12 Step room. And that was another great thing that uh, when I walked out of there, I was like, okay, after my first meeting, I was like, yep, this is where I need to be. And, and you learned the 12 step program from, I, uh, I would imagine, um, uh, Al, uh, uh, Al-Anon, would it be Al-Anon yeah. there? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, that's for people who have, um, someone like an al alcoholic or someone that's addicted to drugs in their life. They're not the ones that are addicted. So AA is for those who have, have the problem, the challenge with addiction. And then Al-Anon is for those that, uh, have a spouse or, a a friend or a family member who has a problem with um, addiction. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, just wanted to clarify that. And, you know, and so you, you've mentioned, like, you were like, I don't want to, the voice was telling you to tell you the truth, but you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to share this. So, you know, how, how did you get over those hurdles? You know, when you were, um, you know, when, when you were personally facing these things, when you were writing so openly about mm -hmm. your life, like, how did you, push through that because you, you do share some very personal details about what you went through in your marriage. Yeah, they don't, um, it feels, you know, perfectly in the right place in the past to be able to write about it without the emotion getting involved and still be able to write about it freshly, I think. Mm -hmm. um, there were things that you don't forget and the way that they transpired. So it's easy to write it effectively. But I was, I am in and have been, and during the writing was in control of that aspect of it. And being able to control it in a way, to make it information, really helped me distance myself a bit from it. And it also allowed me to be, you know, paradoxically more honest about it because I wasn't emotionally triggered anymore. Mm. Um, and it was easier for me to just really, again, just be as honest as possible. Mm, that, that's really fantastic. And you, you talk about this a little bit in the book, but you are actually, you're originally from uh, New York City, but you now live in Ireland. And, and this is part of the book. Tell us how you ended up living in Ireland. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, my dad was second generation. His mom was from County Limerick, which is on the opposite side of the coast. I live in the Dublin area right now. Um, and I was very randomly taking an acting class. And my scene partner at the time said, oh, you're Irish. And I was like, well, you know, I have Irish people in my background, I guess. I don't know. I don't think about it very much. He's like, oh, you should see if you could get a passport. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? And he said, no, you can do it. And this is really like, and this is, I don't even know how I found this out because this was 1994. So we're talking like basic internet. And I don't even <laughs> think, I don't even think the Irish embassy in New York had a website. Oh my God, I might have rung them. I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Oh man, things have really changed, haven't they? Oh my goodness. So analog. Oh my gosh. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I don't know. And so I got all these papers um, and wrote them a check and <laughs> I got a passport. I got a birth certificate. I got a foreign birth certificate and then I got a passport and I was like, well, what am I going to do with this now? <laughs> Um, and I hadn't even been to Ireland. I hadn't even been to Ireland at that stage. I think I got my passport officially in like 1995. No, that can't be true. Well, any, no, I don't remember. Anyway, so um, I went over on a holiday and like we wouldn't have been like mad into being Irish growing up. Um, so when I got here, I had absolutely no idea what to expect. And I had the best three weeks I've ever had in my life. I just had such a good time and I felt so comfortable here. Um, I was traveling on my own. I met people everywhere I went. Mm. Um, and I was in tears on the plane on the way back. And I was like, okay, well, what are we gonna do about this? And I was, again, rudimentary internet, found out that Trinity College um, Dublin had a theater uh masters and at the time i had been directing and writing for theater and stuff like that and i figured well i'll just do this for a couple of years it'll be grand i'll just go over i'll use my passport it won't be a, been a total waste of time i'll get to live in a foreign country that speaks english which is awesome. fantastic <laughs> um yeah because i tried living in paris and i just didn't care <laughs> enough about i just wasn't good at french i just wasn't good at it so um so yeah 21 years later here I am. Oh. Absolutely still loving it like it's the first day I came. Oh. And and good on you for following your heart. You know, it's like you you like you followed your heart or your intuition on so many of the adventures that you've had in your life, you know, Ireland, horses, telling the truth in your in your wonderful book. I mean, and and a lot of people will ignore that intuition or that that little voice inside of them and you've completely embraced it. That is so powerful. Oh, thanks very much for that. Yeah, I think it's really, um, I think that's a huge part of the healing process in general, too, for people um, to be able to begin to trust those instincts and to just, um, I kind of like being afraid, which is weird, but also probably what is what made me a horse person, you know, I, I don't mind it. Like, I know exactly how much anxiety I can cope with that spurs me into action. So, um, yeah, I think all the stuff that I've done has been kind of chasing that vibe a little bit, for better or worse. Oh, and that's awesome. And I think that's stepping right into where life wants you to go. I actually, I have a, a little note on my um, office wall that says, action reduces anxiety or, or gets rid of anxiety or something like that. Like, you know, when the anxiety is there, it means you, you're supposed to be doing something with it, you know, like, and, and it's, it's there to push you forward and, and you embrace that. And I think that's awesome. Oh, thanks. That's a great quote too. I like that. Yeah. I'll, I'll send it to you after our interview and I'll, I'll put it in cool. the show notes so everybody can, can remember it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, th this is a, this is another cool thing about your, your memoir, uh, very often your relationship with a particular horse paralleled, mm -hmm. uh, the path of your human relationships. And, you know, so, and we talked a little bit about this a little bit earlier, but I'm interested in your personal experience with this. Like how did horses help you identify areas in you that needed, that you thought needed self-improvement in 
and that, that that's really captures the heart of your memoir. That's a big, big part of the, the heart of your memoir. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, I didn't even know that was happening, but it goes back to that biofeedback thing. You know, they're all, horses are only going to give back what you give out to them. So um, there was one horse in particular called Maverick who was handsome and really good at his job and everybody wanted to get him in the lesson and then I got him and the first three days was like, you know, the first three lessons of this horse is amazing. I'm having such a good time. And that horse, <laughs> that horse was so canny. He spent those first three lessons figuring out exactly every single thing that I was bad at and just killing me over it for like the next three years. Like everything, every single thing. He knew exactly when my foot had slipped a little, the ball of my foot slipped a little off on the stirrup and would just drop his shoulder and I'd go out the front door. Um, it was incredible because that to me was like, well, who's in charge here? You know, am I in charge of my own safety or am I trying to get this horse to keep me safe? Does that make sense? That makes total sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and I realized that uh, in a lot of my romantic relationships, that was pretty much what would happen. I would just be like, okay, you're in charge. You're in charge of keeping me happy and safe and, you know, basically in the saddle. And then, you know, I'm just going to, I don't know, sit back and hope for the best. Mm. So I, I really learned a lot from that particular horse. Oh, that, that is uh, great insights. And again, looking at what's in front of you is, and, and that is so special because you're noticing it and you, you took it on um, and you learned and you grew from, from those experiences. That being said, is there a message uh, in your memoir you really hope readers will um, take, take with them? I think the thing, the main thing is that I would love for everybody to have something that they love as much as I love horse riding. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be horse riding. It can be cooking or knitting or anything, painting, dancing, do something, do the thing. And I mean, obviously, again, as we said, this wasn't a childhood thing for me at all, but um, I'm sure that people have something in the past that they have not allowed themselves to do. And I would really exhort them and wish them with all my heart that they would do something just for themselves because I'm such a better person for having done that for myself and for having committed to this process and for showing up at least twice a week every week for 14 years I can't tell you how that's helped me I taught me to trust myself that I can count on myself and rely on myself to do what's good for me um, God, I wish everybody could have that. I really do. Oh. It was hard one, and it's worthwhile. That's beautiful and great advice. So, you know, follow your passion. Follow that thing that's calling you forward, you know, because that, that happiness can lie there, right? Just like you discovered. Yeah. You know, and here's another thing I wanted to ask you also. Um, what advice would you offer to other people who may be struggling with their own codependent relationships. So what, what would you say to them? Um, I, I think I'll just reiterate what I said before is that it thrives in isolation. It makes you want to just 
put your head under the covers and it makes you feel like you're the only person in the world that mm. this has ever happened to. And there's a buzz out of that. There's a buzz. Come on. I mean, there is. There's a tiny little buzz about the martyr thing where it's like, I'm doing all this and, you know, it's all out of love and blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of not so much because mm. the first person who's not getting any love at all is yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I would really recommend 12 step and I never would have thought I'd be the person who'd be like go to 12 step, but <laughs> it helped me so much because there's this phrase in Al-Anon, um, that gets bandied about quite a bit, um, terminal uniqueness. Um, and I was suffering from that in a really, really large way. Um, to be able to go in and hear other people's experiences and to identify with it and to hear what resonates and then to also begin to understand and accept what doesn't resonate allows you to start building your own value system. And it's, mm. it's spectacular. I would really wish people um, down that path 100%. Uh, and that, that's a great recommendation. I'll make sure to include links to where people can learn more about the 12 step program and Al-Anon in your show notes um, for people who are interested. This is an important thing to talk about. Mm. Uh, uh, so moving a little bit more into the marketing and writing aspect of your journey with, with Many Brave Fools. Oh, mm -hmm. Actually, I have one more question about Many Brave Fools or, or one yeah. question directly about the book. Um, the title is, is, is based on something really interesting and I wanted I wanted to give you an opportunity to share a little bit about this I thought this was really cool and I discovered this can you can you tell us a little bit about about the title of the book and what's so special about it yeah um well one of the first things I noticed when I started writing was that there were these crazy letters on the wall that weren't like alphabetical or anything um <laughs> nobody said what they meant and you know they shout at you the instructor would say you know change the rain from m to k or whatever and i'd be like well okay i guess that's what they're for i y m y k this is ridiculous um and finally as i you know started actually talking to my instructors as people and not being so in awe of them i was like why are these crazy letters on the wall and um <laughs> gave me the mnemonic of, uh, to remember them and she said they were used in dressage which I hadn't gone near at that stage and I was like okay I can look that up later and she's like and you can remember them by go you know um, saying all King Edward's horses carry many brave fools because that's how the letters go around in this in the oval and I was like this is the most useless thing I've ever heard in my life this has absolutely this is information this is pointless and then of course we got our first dressage test in a lesson. I was like, oh, okay, all right, this makes sense. And still, every single time, like the way that I'll practice a test is I'll draw it on a piece of paper and I have to say, all King Edward's horses carry many brave fools when I'm drawing the letters around because I just can't remember it any other way. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I was trying to think of a title and this was just another gift. Like it really was. I. It just suited what I wanted to say so perfectly. Um, going back to that terminal uniqueness, the many part brings in all the people who have had all kinds of experiences with um, substances, uh, you know, the abuse in the loved one or even, you know, in their own life. Um, the bravery it took for me to leave uh, the situation because it was really hard. Um, mm -hmm and the bravery of getting up on a horse and also and and the fool's part is just like again that 
crazy thing that I do where I'm just kind of like, I'm going to move to Ireland. I'm going to get on a horse, you know, so it all came together really well. It did. It really did. And I, I just thought that that was so interesting where the title came from and how perfectly it fits the book. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And so I wanted to, uh, like I said before, I wanted to move on a little bit to, you know, the writing and marketing side of, of your adventure as a published author. Uh, you're published by Trafalgar Square Books, which is a, mm -hmm. a cool publisher. They, um, they do course books, which is awesome. I think they're like one of the very few uh, traditional publisher, publishers out there that just handle horse books, which I love. Yeah. Um, how did you, how did you end up deciding to, to go the traditional publishing route? And, you know, I'd love to learn a little bit more about what it's been um, working with Trafalgar Square Books. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would like to know that as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, I really wanted an agent. I wanted an agent to take this book and, you know, bring it somewhere big, <laughs> and safe. Um, I had been working on at the same time uh, some fiction that I thought I might end up self-publishing and so I was looking into all that and I was like well you know with my background in graphic design it's not a problem. None of this is a problem. I know how to manage a project because I've directed little you know I've directed films and theater back in New York. Like I know how to carry this through. But I, the part that I just need to take a class in or something it's like the whole marketing thing just wrecked my head i really really didn't want to have to do it um so i kept looking for an agent and i get about maybe like one request a year <laughs> in all the time that i was looking um and either didn't hear back or it was, you know, they wanted it rewritten or something. And I was just like, no, I know what I'm, I know that what I'm doing is what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just going to keep plugging away. Um, I got an edit, which helped me immeasurably. Um, and that's a huge piece of advice I'd like to send out to people who are thinking, especially of writing something personal. Um, is to get an editor into the process sooner rather than later because mm. it really helped me so much. I, there were so many things that were going on in the book that I didn't realize needed clarification. Um, so, uh, so there was that. And then finally I got probably the best rejection ever in, in my life <laughs> from somebody in an agency who was like I really loved reading your book but you're not a celebrity no one's gonna take it and I was like okay <laughs> well, that's interesting Thanks. feedback <laughs> <laughs> wasn't quite as harsh as that but you know uh -huh. that's that's the takeaway wow and I was like all right um <laughs> uh, let's do something else and I didn't want to self-publish it because it because okay so this is good like Writing it wasn't hard and talking about it is fine, but the notion of having to market this by myself mm. when it was so personal and so truthful just made me want to crawl under the desk. You know, there was no way that I was going to be able to have the distance from it to be able to do that. So I was like, all right. And someone had sent me uh, information about Trafalgar Square Books years ago, and I was just like, I'll put this on the back burner. Um, I don't want to go directly to a publisher at this stage. Hmm. And then when I got that 
email about not being a celebrity, I was like, oh, geez, all right, well, I'll just look out what their submission is and I'll just send it in. Because um, I figured, and, and then I figured if they don't take it, then I'll just publish it myself. Mm -hmm. because I wasn't going to go chasing publishers at this stage. And, and as you say, they were so, you know, they're so horse focused. I was like, well, this is my best shot at getting this published conventionally. And they wanted the proposal, which was great because I had done that. I had put all the work into that and the manuscript was complete and it had gone through an edit and I had changed the edits and, you know, cleaned it up. And I was like, this is as good as it's going to get at this stage, just being me. Mm -hmm. And I sent it in, um, fully expecting, you know, the usual kind of radio silence. And I think like within an hour, I got an email thanking me for submitting. And I was like, whoa, okay, this doesn't happen. That's not the way this is works, man. <laughs> You can dial that right down. No. <laughs> I'm a little scared. Um, it was so polite. And I was just like, nobody's polite. This is crazy. Um, and then six weeks later, they said they wanted it. I mean, that was that, it was that fast. It was kind of, unex it was totally unexpected. Um, and fantastic because it's been nothing but a pleasure to work with them. It's been so great. That is awesome. And you know, I've, I've, I've heard the same, I've heard that people just absolutely love working with them. And, and uh, I think right now, mostly, you know, for the fiction authors that are the fiction horse book authors that are listening, I think right now, mostly that they do not, they handle nonfiction horse books. They do a lot of training and memoirs and I've heard they might be dabbling into fiction, but traditionally they're not nonfiction uh, Trafalgar Square books. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, me being a genius, I was like, well, I'll just send it in. It was like, I can't believe I sent this in because these are like all famous people. This is all like, you know, it was Charlotte Dujardin and what have I done? Like, <laughs> nope. Um, <laughs> that, that's interesting that you mentioned that because self-doubt as an author, as a writer, and even as a, a horsewoman is so always running in the background and, you know, doing it anyway, even though you're afraid, feel the fear and do it anyway, is, mm -hmm. is just, you gotta, you just gotta feel it and go, right? And which is what you did. And, you know, it's funny, like you, you did it. And then afterwards you had the fear. <laughs> it's another example of like the universe just kind of opened up and you were like here and, and then okay. it worked. Right. <laughs> yeah. But but also too, like you said, it was mostly um great trainers writing amazing books about, you know, with exercises and stuff. And I'm like, oh God, you know, this book is I don't even know where this fits. But it was exactly what they wanted. So it was great. Worked out great. Oh, see? It just it was meant to be. And uh yeah. you know, and then so so that's really interesting that you mentioned you wanted to go this route because you were afraid of marketing it yourself given that it was such a personal story so i i've seen the press kit they put together for you and there's also um a youtube uh book trailer which i'll link to in the show notes but they they did a beautiful job putting together your press kit absolutely gorgeous um how how did they help you with the marketing that made you comfortable with putting your personal memoir out into the world what are some of the things that they did to help you out 
They just did all the emailing really and approaching like because um, I work in media here. I got a lot of press because all my friends work on magazines. Um, so that was great. And I work in magazines as well. So I was able to kind of go, hey, I've got this book coming out. Um, but they were, you know, they just had all the contacts, which was excellent in the States, which I wouldn't have. And um, like you said, that press kit, no one's ever done that for me ever on anything that I've done. And it was like, it, it's just so, so good. They did such a great job. Um, the attention to detail and the obvious care that they took putting it together is something that I'll always treasure. Um, so it, it, and I had to answer stuff and, you know, like a Q and A and talk personally. And it was easier because there was, again, that distance and they were taking care of it. It was their responsibility to bring it to people's attention. So I didn't have to do that myself. But you still do a lot of marketing yourself on uh, social media. I see that you're very active on social media and sharing your story and things about the books too. So, so you would, you know, they did like the heavy lifting, but you still talk, talk about stuff and do some marketing yourself. Is that right? Yeah, I guess, I guess I'm um, pretending it's not marketing. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, it's just your life, know. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just Instagram. Okay. I don't know. I love Instagram. It's my favorite one. Instagram. It's so good. I like it too. And, and, you know, I'll make sure to link to all your social media channels and uh, particularly Instagram so people can find you. Talk, talk to us a little bit about why you love Instagram. I'd love to hear, is this your favorite, your favorite author tool? It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I love the, the word and picture combination because mm -hmm. I'm a visual person and a verbal person. So it's great to have both of them in the same place. And I just feel like, um, for me, it's more impactful just to have a, an, an image that, you know, especially stories, like I resisted stories for a long time, but they're mm. fun. Mm -hmm. I can just do some goofy stuff on stories. Um, and it fills up your whole screen and it looks really uh, graphic. Um, and it just, uh, I just enjoy it myself as a user. So it's really fun for me to use it as an author. Yeah, and tell us um, how you use the Instagram stories feature a little differently than like your main Instagram feed. So, so Instagram stories are things that uh, you, t you share like a moment of time in your life and they disappear mm -hmm. within 24 hours for those of you that may not know. I usually use Instagram stories to tell about events that I'm at. It, yeah. In the moment, right? You know, because it's like a sort of an in the moment sort of thing. And then I'll do like recaps later that I actually make it to my main feed. How, how do you use Instagram stories differently than your main feed? Um, well, in my main feed often, and I haven't done this in a while, so this is a good reminder, I'll publish an excerpt from the book with the book cover or with a, you know, an applicable photo. The stories are more sort of like on the hoof, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> I'm really into, I'm into storying about the weather. <laughs> I do my weather every Saturday before my Saturday lesson. <laughs> and then before my Wednesday lesson, I recount how dark it's gotten because the clocks have changed. So it's just that kind of stuff. You know? I was given one of the horses to ride a treat. And of course, you know, he went for my fingers and underneath, you know, while it's happening and say, yes, I know I wasn't supposed to stick my fingers in his mouth, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, <laughs> it, it's a real, um, it can be funny. Um, and, and like you say, it's definitely in the moment. We have these apples here called pink lady apples and they come with stickers on them. And there's a whole thing that I do 
purely for my own amusement, I'm sure, but like the stickers turn up everywhere and I see them everywhere, like on the pavement, you know, like seven feet of pavement and there's a sticker and I see it, you know, I see the, the Apple sticker. So I take a picture of it and I put it on stories. That's fun. I, you are so fun. You are so fun and funny. I th I adore you. I'm just like having so much fun talking to you. Pink lady apple sticker pictures are that's hilarious i love that well, and then i um i got a press pass to the dublin horse show um and this was perfect for stories because i got an email on the day i was going in and they were like um before the big uh longines grand prix event um the press were going to be a let walk around the course with the course builder and I like all the kids in the yard the next day were like what that's so I saw cool you on the field. oh my <laughs> god I saw you on the course and I was like yeah I storied that it was great like live you know video and stuff it was fun oh my oh, gosh I'm sure and then how did you get a press pass how did that that end up working I mean you mentioned you work for magazines were you covering the the story yeah that? well yeah, I mean, I was doing the Instagram thing, which I kind of got away with as being enough uh, to <laughs> justify it, basically. And you um, also were like, I'm an author, and you waved your book a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, my book was in the, the horse show, which was just like the pinnacle of my life to this stage, really, because the first time I went to the horse show, I'd only been riding maybe about eight months, and I, I literally thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Because this is, it's a five-day event, and it used to be sort of like the only place where, before the internet and before you could buy stuff, where people could go and shop and bring their horses and show their horses and like a really big event uh -huh. um, in the center of Dublin. So I walked in not really knowing anything about it, except that everybody up at the yard was like, we're going to the horse show. And I, I, I actually had, to, I had palpitations. I had to sit down after like 15 minutes because I was like, this is, I can't cope. This, you know, <laughs> so to have my book in it at the at, at the bookseller who goes annually was just such a thrill. It was so great. Oh, that's amazing! I mean, those are the moments as an author that just like are so thrilling. You're, and you're like, oh my gosh, like I wrote I wrote that, and it's it's right here being sold at this huge horsey event, and you know, yeah. it's just it's just awesome. It's an awesome feeling, and congratulations! Like, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so great I, I emailed the guys before I got there I was like hi I'm the author da, da, da. and they just shut me down they were like just come sign the book <laughs> you can't you can't sit here all day and I'm like ah oh, come on <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that you know that's so did you know your book was going to be there or was it just a surprise um yeah no no I knew it was going to be there because we have uh Trafalgar Square Books has a uh, co-publisher in England and mm -hmm. the people who were do who do the all the book fairs they do the circuit are based um, somewhere in the English countryside so yeah they let me know that it was going to be there or else and I emailed them and said I was going to be around so it worked out great so you didn't you didn't have an official signing you you were just available and you could sign the books if if people yeah no they they gave me all the books they had and said just sign them right now oh. so i spent like every time i went in i was there, there, was, this, there was this vendor across and i have pictures of me like lurking between the polo shirts <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome you know every time i sign a book i get nervous that i'm going to like misspell something or i never know what to 
like write. Like I've kind of come up with like a couple like cute little, you know, phrases relating yeah. to the book. And then I sign my name and I put the year at the bottom. Like what, oh. what do you sign? What do you, what do you do when you sign books? Do you just write your name or do you write like a thing? Um, yeah, no, I, I know what you're talking about. It's so hard. Like it's just, it's the best thing in life. Oh yeah. Literally to sign your book <laughs> and the worst thing because <laughs> you're supposed to be good with words and now you can't do words, you know, right. it's so bad. Um, when it's friends, it's easy. Like signing the books for my horse friends is easy. When I got there at the horse show, I just wrote heels down and signed my name. <laughs> well, that's cute. I like that. Yeah. 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 And something yeah. else, elbows <laughs> in, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> On a couple of them. And one of my friends who I didn't meet there, um, had bought one that had heels down in it. So we were, we were laughing about that, but I find it difficult. I like the notion of writing the year in it though. I think that's good. Well, that's I a heard, really good idea. I heard people really like that, you know, like to know, you know, when they got the book or when it was, was signed. And then I, I think, you know, like, like my books are ever going to be, you know, worth any, like a lot or something. But they, I also heard that if you actually put the date on there, it makes them more valuable if, if they oh, ever really? wind up. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure why that is, but I'm so happy to hear that somebody else has that same experience. Cause I'm always like, oh, you know, what do I, what am I supposed to write here? You know, <laughs> it's, like, it's so bad. It's so bad. Um, um, somebody now going on that, just in terms of, you know, when, when our books are worth tons of money, in the year 3000 or whatever. <laughs> um. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. They will be. They will be. I usually yeah. believe in ourselves. No good. I know. We're not believing in ourselves right now. Shame on us, right? Yeah, it's going to be so. amazing. Um, somebody told me that just signing your name is the best thing to do in terms of its worth in mm -hmm. that regard, mm -hmm. which I seems a bit lame. Totally. And my hope is that the people that I personalize the books for, it will remain on their bookshelves. Like that's what I would really like, you know? So, yeah, you know, who knows, but yeah, it's, it's just a really interesting experience. Cause it's like, like it, a to be signing something that you wrote, but then be like, I just don't know what to say oh. here. So, like, <laughs> it's, it's just like, I don't know. I think that's what hell is like, you know, that's going to be like an eternity of just standing there with the book and the pen going, ah, yeah. <laughs> Well, at least we'll have, in hell, we'll have something we have written. I mean, at least yeah, that's kind exactly. of a bonus. <laughs> and a pen, so and we can keep writing. Yeah, and we can write on our arms. I mean, probably oh, write anywhere else than actually being able to sign our own books. That's so funny. Exactly. That's uh, part of it, for I sure. Have, I have so enjoyed this interview. This is so fun. I love giggling with you. You're, you're so fantastic. We're, oh. getting, we're getting a little bit towards the end of the question. So I, ha I have two questions for you. Um, and I'm really curious about this. Um, well, actually, I have three questions for you. One would be, what, what for you has been the hardest thing about being an author? We just talked about the challenge of signing our own names. In the books. <laughs> Is, yeah. what, what, what else for you has been difficult? Um, I think the balance between, you know, the energy it takes to sort of keep income coming in from not books and working day jobs and things like that. I'm really fortunate in that I work steadily and that I can, you know, choose to take days off as I need them. But the dream is to just, God, I don't know, wake up in the morning, go ride a horse, sit up the yard with my laptop do something else with the horse, go home, you know? Oh, yes. Um, and not have to worry about 
the rent. <laughs> I don't know. So that's kind of a drag, I think, in terms of being an author is not being able to really be 100% full time because it's just not possible at this mm-hmm. stage. Yeah, it's almost like you have two jobs, you know, because because authors, you know, you have to find the time to write your books. And then, you know, there's all the other components. But, you know, really, when we sell a book, we make maybe a dollar a book, you know, so wow. like, it, yeah. it uh, takes a whole lot of books to reach like, Harry Potter level. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where, where yeah. We, can, we can write and write all day, which is, I think, the dream for a lot of us. So, yeah. On the flip side of that, what is the very best part of you um, being an author? Um, just having the facility and the time as, you know, to be able to even carve out whatever time to be able to focus on a project and to bring it to fruition and to see it all the way through, um, much less get it published, which at this stage, and um, you know, even with all the self-publishing seems like a really cherry on the top kind of situation you know mm-hmm. um so many people you know it goes down to like well i'm gonna write a book i have an idea for a book are you gonna write the book somebody writes the book you know the, the the process of people of people's perceptions of how it works um to just be able to carry it through and have it actually be a thing in the world is amazing and i just love the idea part i love the part i love the part where it's like I've done all the groundwork and I've done all the notes and I've gone through the draft. And when you get that momentum where all you want to do is wake up in the morning and sit down and you go through the whole day and then you fall into bed and you wake up and do it all over again, whatever that time frame is, it could be two weeks, it could be a month, you know, it's just the best thing ever. When I feel like I've got it, I mean, driving it and know where it's going it's almost done no one can take this away from me it's amazing it's so amazing yes i love that (laughs) yes that's so right on i love it um that that flow feeling that feeling like where you know you just cannot wait to get there and like sit down at the table and it just like magically starts happening right like that is the best totally it's so great and nobody else understands i mean it sounds you know people write about this all the time and you know I write fiction as well and there are things that the characters do that I didn't know that we're gonna do absolutely and totally yeah it's like they're coming from they like I'm like what yeah. <laughs> yes exactly it's so great oh it's I, so great I love yeah. that yeah it's like I you know I was just talking with um another author Candace Carabas she she writes the dream horse mystery series and she and she has this experience too where she where her character like we were talking about how the character's like when you write fiction, you know, like kind of um, live, they're alive and they're just like, you are the medium that's delivering whatever yeah. the heck that they want to do out there. And they, <laughs> and they surprise you and you're like, ah, that's not what I thought was going to happen, but okay, let's follow that. Um, oh, it's so, so cool to hear that you have that experience too. Well, I was, um, the last round of proofs on Many Brave Fools, I, and oh, here's another thing that's really important. And you probably already know this, but you have to read it out loud. Oh, yes, you ma'am. You read it out loud, man. Oh, talk, boy. Talk about that a little. Oh, I'm telling you something. I've never done that. 
and I was like on the, this was like the third round with Many Bright Fools and it was getting to crunch time and this was the last chance and it was PDF. And I was like, I can't read this again. I can't read this again. So I was like, well, I'll read it out loud. And I know I've come across this advice and ignored it. Don't ignore this advice. <laughs> unbelievable what a difference it made it made such a difference and so i'm highlighting all these changes i'm like please don't kill me please don't kill me you have to fix this because i only just read this out loud right now you know um so i'm sitting there and um one of the main themes in the book is riding 20 meter circles because i just didn't understand like the crazy letters on the wall i was like why do we keep doing this this is like the same thing every single time and i knew i was getting better when i realized how important it was you know mm. so i'm sitting you know it's a huge thing in the book 20 meter circles 20 meter circle whatever and i'm reading it out loud and i'm getting to a part about um you know, being in a 12-step meeting, and uh, I read out loud to myself, it's like, and we all sat in a circle, I was like, oh my god, that's a circle too, and I was like, dude, did you just realize this? It's like, you wrote this thing, you didn't even know you were doing that? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so there, you discovered a link, you know, after you read it out loud to yourself, yeah. Uh, after, like, two seconds before it was going to be published, I was like, oh, that was really smart. <laughs> That's, that's, that's like, and also great advice, right? Like so you, you, you finally figured out the value of, of people telling you to do that. Yeah. It's, oh boy. It makes a difference because things read yeah. aloud seem so much different than when you're just reading it on the paper. And like when you read it on the paper, like, you know, so they read it out loud, print it out. Don't just read it yeah. on the laptop because you see different things in that, in that too. So it's like, there's also, and then read it out loud, but then I also have someone read it to me. Oh my God. So I can hear how wow. it, it sounds. And then I'm like, ugh, that, sound, that doesn't make, that sounds weird or it doesn't make sense. Or I noticed something like, like what you just said, there's a, a connector <laughs> that I missed just yeah. by myself. Yeah. So that's well, of, that's really brave. Like having somebody read it to you. Well, I don't think that's I use my hubby, you know, so, so oh, okay. we, have, like, we have like a little system, like I'll write, like I'll write all week long. And then on the weekends we'll, we'll have coffee and I'll have them read, uh, whatever I wrote back to me. Usually it's like a chapter or two and I have them oh. read it back to me. And then he catches my first errors and then he kind of gives me, gives me insight. He's like, I don't know, this, you know, but you know, and like, or I really like this and go, you know, I like it when you do this, go this route. So He's like my early feedback, so I can make kind of adjustments as I'm writing. It's kind of a neat. That's brilliant. Little thing. Very yeah. handy. So last question for you, and then we'll talk about where people can find you in your books. But I'm wondering, okay. I mean, you mentioned you also write fiction. What are you curious about right now? What's next? What are you, what are you thinking about um, for the future? Um, well, I have, uh, my first three novels were contemporary romantic comedies, and all of them had Irish interest, and I, I only started writing books when I moved here, so um, that had a lot to do with it, I guess, you know, it was important to me to have my experience um, here articulated somehow, and then, um, yeah, I just, I just wasn't feeling it anymore. Um, so now I'm, I'm working on a new romance series, uh, sort of Regency era historical, so Jane austen -y vibe. Cool. Um, plus 
plus shapeshifters. So that's Ooh. what I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, no, it's been really, really fun to write. It's been really fun to write. Oh, that sounds awesome. And so when, when might those books, are they, are they going to have horses in them? And when might people be able to yeah. find those horses or those oh, yeah. books? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, it's still kind of up in the air how mm. it's going to work out. I do have uh, literary representation now, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, so the first three are going to be um, kind of apex predator lead alpha males. And salty, ambitious for their time heroines. They're fab. Uh, I yeah. love it. And, that's yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. But there's horses all over it, obviously. There's one horse, there's one. I don't know if she's gonna make it into the first series that I named after Delilah, who oh. was the second horse I ever rode and was like the merriest mare who ever mared. And <laughs> she's like that in the book, and it's so fun <laughs> for oh. me. <laughs> well, that's so awesome. Like when this series, do you have a title for the series yet? Or is it still kind of? No, I don't think I can talk about it yet. So okay, which is fine. Yeah. Let, let's have you come back on the show when this series is available. And we can talk about Thanks. what your adventures with this one has been like. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So I so love talking with you. You, you crack me up. You're so funny <laughs> and so powerful and so wise and so brave for sharing your, your story of codependency and many brave fools. Where can listeners find you and your books, Susan? Well, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Many Brave Fools. Both of those have the same handle. And I'm on Facebook, um, Susan E. Conley Author. Uh, and my blog is ManyBraveFools.com. So that's the best. Those are the best ways. Great. To and find then, in the ether. And then, <laughs> and then are, you, are your links to your books available there too? And, and where can people find, find Many Brave Fools? Oh, yeah, yeah. The links are um, definitely on the website, manybravefools.com. You can buy it directly from Trafalgar Square Books as well, which I'd highly recommend just because, you know, small publishers mm. um, aren't really uh, getting much of a presence in bookshops these days. Um, so to order directly from them would be spectacular. Mm. Um, or just, you know, go into your local independently run bookshop and ask them to order it and they'll get it in a heartbeat really at this stage in life in yes. our world awesome awesome advice yes let's support local authors local bookstores uh small publishers uh, particularly equestrian small publishers because we, yes. we love them um and and thank you that's also really great advice i will put the link to all of your your wonderful places where people can find you in the show notes and i will also link to your book um through trafalgar square books so people can purchase it there and susan i have so enjoyed having you thank you so much for being on the show today carly thanks so much and i i just have to say that like i am honored to be here because i know exactly how much work goes into doing these kind of things and you're so generous with your time and with your support for other authors um i really admire that and i i'm so so grateful that you had me on your show Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I, it, it, it does take quite a bit of work, but you know what's so important to me is like building this community and sharing about horse books. And we all write so many different things in, in there. And I want to make sure horse lovers and others can, um, 
find our books and, and start talking yeah. about that and, you know, supporting each other and authors unite is like what I stand behind. So, so thank you for being part of that and, and coming on the show today. It's been so much fun. My <laughs> absolute pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes, and make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle. <laughs>